everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 233. On today's show, we talk about Romans in the Swiss Alps, delicious Egyptian <laughs> mummy balm, and a Peruvian cult leader. Let's dig a little deeper, but please, God, make the hole big enough to fit all of me in it. <laughs> welcome to the show, everyone. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? My God. <laughs> I am with the Civil Air Patrol, as I've probably mentioned before on mm -hmm. some shows. And if you look up the Reno National Championship Air Races, the, my squadron, the Civil Air Patrol squadron, we have our biggest fundraiser of the year at the Reno Air Races. Mm -hmm. And we make breakfast burritos in the morning, hamburgers and fries in the afternoon, and it is insane. Yes. Uh, now, normally, yeah, I wasn't really going to talk about this, but uh, normally on a really good year, you know, we do Saturday's our biggest day and we do like $7,500 worth of business. You know, we, mm -hmm. we keep a fraction of that, but we, that's how much we sell. Today was Friday as we're recording this podcast and we did $16,000. <laughs> it's like, it's like more than double. It's insane. Yeah. And, we, and this is a bunch of people that don't do food service ever in their lives. Yeah. It's like once, once a, year. a year. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I don't, yeah. I work on Fridays, but I knew you guys were crazy. I could just tell by like yeah. your body posture when you would walk into the RV. Right. And I was like, okay, I'll just go see if you guys need a hand. And then I just got sucked into like a whirlwind of activity and yeah. work for like three hours. And I didn't even... Mm -hmm. know or understand what was happening it was crazy it was so busy yeah i mean there's not really any archaeology here but the, nope. <laughs> there's a lot of history tied up with the reno races this is the 59th or 60th oh, anniversary yeah. one i don't know mm -hmm. what it is it's been a long time that it's been here the only mm -hmm. year they skipped was covid really 
and it's a it's got a lot of a lot of history tied up with the city of Reno and just this area in northern Nevada. I mean, people come from around the world to come to this event, Mm -hmm. and there's a there's a lot here. And this is the last year that it's going to be held here. Yeah, Uh, there's a lot of political reasons why that's happening. Nobody's sure where it's going to go, but it's pretty big for our squadron to to lose that. But do you think like maybe it could go to I don't know Switzerland? Maybe. Well, I don't know. (laughs) That's my attempt at a transition. It was pretty yeah. bad, wasn't it? Listen, I <laughs> I had a segue and I'm still going to do it. Okay, do because it. Because <laughs> apart from the roads, the aqueducts, and the sanitation, what did the Romans ever do for us? I'm pretty sure I've said that every time we've had a Roman Yeah, article. that's not a good transition yeah. <laughs> or segue. And why are the Romans walking even, why are they even going to the Swiss Alps? Seriously, <laughs> that is not your environment. That is a good question. And it's probably why this particular site and the article about it is so unique so wait a minute this is terrible by the way we probably just lost a hundred listeners why because we're just like talking about the air races and then we just like shabbily transition to the roman swiss alps (laughs) isn't that what people love about us though that we're like not that good at this and it makes us funny i don't know (laughs) i'm gonna go with that (laughs) right so this article is called ruins of 2000 year old roman walls unearthed in swiss alps so apart from their walls (laughs) their sanitation their roads and the aqueduct yeah what did they do for the swiss (laughs) what did they do well in this case they discovered well the archaeologists discovered a structure which includes several rooms and a total of about five thousand square feet so go big or go pretty home. good start yeah pretty good size structure yeah that's pretty good size yeah it's located in a gravel pit in cham which is a town in the canton of zug in central switzerland canton's probably like a village canton is basically like a state in oh, Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. So it it was all very confusing. I had to look it up because I was like, none of these words make any sense to mm-hmm. me. Canton, Zug, Cham. Like they're all just obviously not English. So that's what it is. It's like a state. And this one in particular is in the foothills of the Alps or this like pre-Alpine area. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was the first discovery of a large-scale Roman building in the area in nearly 100 years, which kind of surprises me. Like, if the Romans were there, they don't do anything small, typically. Yeah. They just, like, do a whole bunch of stuff. So, only finding this yeah. one, like, large-scale Roman thing in 100 years seems pretty crazy. Either they haven't looked, or they just didn't leave a lot yeah. behind. Because it doesn't sound like it's a very hospitable mm-hmm. area. So, yeah. And they also say the preservation is good, but they always say that. But I'm mean, just looking at the pictures, and yeah, I mean, they're just like rock walls. Is, the, <laughs> is that good preservation? I well, guess it the, is. the walls are very good. And then the artifacts themselves are yeah. are preserved quite well. So that I think is is why they say that. Right. And they found a variety of artifacts, including glass vessels, Roman tableware and fragments of amphorae jugs. And always wine. I know the amphorae in particular <laughs> are evidence of cross regional trade. And they were used to bring things like fish sauce, wine, olive oil, and other substances from the Mediterranean. So trade. Romans didn't give up any of their wine. <laughs> right. Come on. That was just their, their normal everyday drinking wine. <laughs> well, you would think that, but I guess just having those kind of jugs there means that there were probably people of somewhat higher status at this mm. complex, meaning that it could have been like a villa of some sort or maybe some kind of compound that belonged to a a higher status individual or family or whatever. So you just don't find those unless it's associated with somebody who's got money, basically. Yeah. And those people with money, they like throwing it around, which is probably why they found several (laughs) copper, bronze and silver coins just like laying around. 
people just tossing yeah. their money about. I mean, I don't think it was just like laying around. I they think didn't, it was they like, didn't describe. Listen. They didn't describe the context of the coins, but they did find them. Listen, the building <laughs> was abandoned at some point. Otherwise, uh-huh. it wouldn't be here. Uh-huh. It wouldn't be a ruin. Right. And somebody just like. How do those coins happen? Do you think somebody was like walking around, like sprinkling coins around for a future archaeologist? I I really don't. I think they were just like, whatever, it's a coin, have it. (laughs) And it hit the ground. But it does make you wonder when you're sitting on an archaeological site like that, especially money. Yeah. You know, valuables. Mm -hmm. What, What happened to cause them to abandon it? And not like go back for their coins. It's just, it's never on purpose, right? Like it fell out of a pocket or out of a bag or whatever. Silver and gold coins. Yeah. Well, it's not like one coin. Well, one of them in particular was kind of interesting because it has Julius Caesar on one side. And on the other side, it shows an elephant standing on a snake or a dragon. And that image is so cool. So definitely check out the pictures in this article. It's a really like solid image of an elephant. It's really cool. I get a real Game of Thrones vibe from that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I see that. So, yeah. And they also found a bunch of iron nails, which nails, of course, would indicate that in addition to the stone walls that they've uncovered, there was also wood structures of some sort there, too. So, yeah. you know, without archaeologists telling us that there could have been something higher than this stone wall, we would never know anything. <laughs> but, uh, well, the stone walls themselves could have been higher. Yeah, but, but now we know they were made of wood. Come on. They probably weren't. <laughs> Well, the site itself is on an elevated area, and that would have given them a really good view of the surrounding area. So a good area to fortify and be safe and whatever. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's probably why that they chose that area. And like I said, it could have been a private villa, maybe a temple, some other kind of structure, but they just don't really know yet what kind of structure it was. Yeah, as always, need to do more work. Yeah, they even had it open to public for a little while, it looks like, according to the article here. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know. Is it, did you see in the article anywhere where it was in some sort of area that is open to public, to the public or, or why they were digging here? I don't remember seeing that. I don't remember seeing that yeah. either. So, mm-hmm. no, okay. no, I'm not sure why. I think they just, the site itself is unique because you don't have a lot of Roman sites in this part of the Alps in Switzerland. So, that's part of the reason why the work is happening because it's unique and and interesting well the alps doesn't sound like a too easy place to get to from you know rome so by the time they got there they were probably pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pretty smelly. <laughs> unlike, <laughs> unlike our next article where they oh, smelled so delicious. <laughs> so bad. Back in a minute. Welcome back to episode 233 of The Archaeology Show. 
Why do mummies smell delicious? <laughs> or I mummy think, balm. Okay, so first of all, the title of this article is like a little <laughs> bit misleading because I don't think anybody really thinks that a mummy or a decomposing corpse, as they're also known, sure. actually smelled good. I mean, if you wrap them in good stuff, I you know. just it's to masks the smell of decomposition. And you know what? That always comes through. So I just don't know. But the title of this article is ancient Egyptian mummy balm probably smelled delicious. <laughs> now, the balm itself probably did smell really good. And right, but they're covered in it. The, so. Right. So the, the decomposing corpse, not so good. Sure. <laughs> but the balm did smell good. And this is from Popular Science, and it's a really, really cool article. I really enjoyed reading about this because I've always been a little fascinated by the mummification process because it's like, man, what kind of society gets to the point where that is that is the process that they do to their dead? It's just so cool, yeah. right? Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. And only the real high society of Egypt was mummified. There, Which was new information to me. Yeah, well, yeah. There, and there are actually several few exceptions where somebody who was you know a trusted person to the yeah. to the egyptian court you know that's where the friends uh, part comes right in, I right think. but but yeah. even like like lower down people that weren't necessarily friends but workers but you know um either way but yeah you typically reserved for the higher up people yeah and as we'll find out this particular mummy that they're studying was somebody who was mm-hmm. sort of raised up by her association with the sure. royal family so but Anyway, the reason for this is because Egyptian pharaohs wanted to make sure their close companions joined them in the next world. Sure. So they extended the courtesy of mummification to their inner circle, basically. And that inner circle could be made up of anybody that they wanted with them in the afterworld, like whoever that right. that was I mean, for them. Honestly, if you believe there's a place you're going to like that and you can bring your friends with you by mummifying them, first off, I'd be pretty terrified because... <laughs> Pharaoh's not going to wait around for me to die, right? So I, my time is probably limited if Pharaoh goes. <laughs> but also, you know, are there just servants in the afterworld, in the afterlife? Or do they have yeah. to mummify servants as well to bring them along? Yeah, that's a very good question. I yeah. don't really know the thought process behind yeah. choosing who to mummify. Was it strategic like that to bring some servants to? I don't know. Right. But this particular mummy is the body of a noblewoman called... Senetne? Mm-hmm. Senetne. And we actually first learned about the mummification process from her mummified remains. She was discovered in 1900 by Howard Carter, and that would be the same Howard Carter of King Tut fame. Yeah. So he did a lot before King Tut, and this is one of the things that he discovered before that. And they did not have a complete body in her case. It sounds like there was some pretty heavy looting that happened in her tomb. But Howard Carter and his crew, they found four intact jars in her tomb, Mm -hmm. which was in the Valley of the Kings. And they realized that those jars were used to preserve her organs. Right. So they did enough research back then and over the years to know that that's what those jars were for. Which is crazy because with something that's old and they could realize that, you know, this was probably organs being stored inside here, not Mm -hmm. really knowing a whole lot about anything. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's insane. Yeah, there might have been hieroglyphics or something on well, it. Well, I that... don't think those have been translated by 1900. Oh, no, not by then, no. So yeah. pro- that understanding of what those were might have come later on. The article mm-hmm. didn't specify when we learned that that's what those jars were for. Yeah. So, but in the mummification process, the body is dried out and then the organs are placed into jars like these that are filled with kind of 
antibacterial balms, basically, to cover up the smell of and also slow down the decomposition process. Which is another cool thing because they didn't really know about bacteria. No. They didn't really know about germs. No, they just knew it worked, right? Nobody knew about germs until a couple hundred years ago. Right. Right? But through trial and error and like some really smelly organs that just like really- Some like bad situations. Bad situations, Yeah. yeah. They determined, well, that didn't work. Let's try this. Well, that didn't work. Let's try this. And they ended up on something that scientifically makes sense, but they probably didn't really understand why. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about, but it's, you know, trial and error, right? You like, you go with what works and they really landed on something that, that did the job. So, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Again, it was so long ago. The the lady Senene actually lived in Egypt around 1450 BCE and was the wet nurse for the son of Pharaoh Thutmose III. And future pharaoh Amenhotep II. Yeah, so she had some, she had some power there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Amenhotep, like that's a famous pharaoh, right? Yeah, all so, the Amenhoteps are. There's a few of them. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, she definitely. It's crazy that she was the wet nurse, which would basically yeah. mean she breastfed the yeah. the pharaoh. And then to have like a higher status because of that. But maybe they only allowed the pharaohs to be breastfed by somebody of high of a high status too. Like that's yeah. entirely possible. I'm not really sure how their like social structure worked in that case, but she definitely was extended the the courtesy of mummification. So she yeah. was important enough for that. Assuming she lived her life out. And wasn't killed at like 40 to be yeah. joined the pharaoh. <laughs> and like I said, they didn't have her full body. They just had these jars with mm-hmm. her organs in them. So who yeah. knows when she died, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. So according to Barbara Huber, who is an archaeologist at the Max Planck Institute in Germany, her mummification reflects an almost pharaoh-like status. Mm-hmm. That's how she phrased it. So, yeah. guess she was important. I guess she was. Yeah. And two of the jars that were found by Carter contained her lungs and liver. And they have basically been sitting untouched in a museum until recently. Of course. Do you know how much crap is sitting <laughs> like untouched sitting in a museum? Unt- yeah. And we just I know. like well, revolutionize what we know of history. It's, it's so interesting, right? Because that's why like you have to preserve some archaeology for the future because they didn't have the ability to analyze the residue in these jars, which mm-hmm. is what they did for this study. They didn't have that ability you know, even 20 years ago, they probably couldn't do it the way they can now. But but they do have that ability now. And fortunately, these jars are preserved in a way that they were able to analyze the residue of whatever bombs or ointments or whatever that were that were left over in the jars. Yeah. It's really cool. And it's cool what they can tell because, you know, just from a little bit. Right. Because yeah. as they did that analysis of the, the residue, you know, they were able to tell a lot about that, including mm-hmm. that, you know, probably they were intended to preserve and slow down the decomposition because... I think probably why else would it be in there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's probably just process of elimination there. I was like, why would they care about slowing down the decomposition? But I guess it's because there was probably some time in between death and interment into whatever the tomb was. So they didn't want to be smelling bad mummy smells in that time frame. (laughs) It's either that or I could totally see the Egyptians being like, you know, the more we keep this like its original thing oh yeah the more you're intact in the afterlife kind oh of thing. that's I'm just true that up, but uh, yeah but it i seems can see a that very egyptian thing it it does yeah. well with the whole afterlife thing like yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense so yeah they collected six samples from the inner walls of the jars and studied the chemical compositions as we mentioned and they found remnants of beeswax plant oils animal fats butamin which is a petroleum-based substance and resins yeah lots of stuff yeah and both jars had evidence of the compounds 
Comarin and benzoic acid. Yeah. And Comarin is a sweet and vanilla scented substance that is found in cinnamon. Ooh, sounds very so, full. Yeah, right? <laughs> and then benzoic acid is made from tree bark and it also has like a light fragranty smell, mm-hmm. more of a botanical smell is what I was getting from that I'm description. Assuming, I'm assuming this is where the delicious part comes in. Yeah, yeah. I think specifically because the Comarin, which is the, the sweet and vanilla scented one, that that's where delicious comes from. So, yeah. So, are we trying to say that Egyptian mummies smelled like, you know, a nice fall apple pie? <laughs> well, at least until, <laughs> at least until the smell of do- decomposition couldn't be, you know, covered up anymore. So well, I maybe mean, this residue is still around 2000 years later. Yeah, true. Come I, on. I just can't imagine they were that good, but maybe. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so the researchers hypothesized that the inclusion of these aromatic components were to mask the smell of decomposition, obviously. And also, there were other substances that were not commonly used for embalming, and that's how they're determining that Senetne was somebody of high social standing. I guess this rare rarity of these substances makes her important. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was wondering about as we were reading this is, is the substances that make it smell good or smell good to us right now? Yeah. I mean, honestly, who knows if that smelled good to people 2,500 years ago, but either way, yeah, smelled, smells good to us right now. Was that just a byproduct and they just kind of stumbled upon that as, hey, this is good for embalming? Or like you said, were those just added fluff because they wanted her to smell good? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. You, this, it's almost impossible to know the intentions behind things, right? Yeah. We're just looking at what the final product was, the final result. So, yeah. And they do have a interesting source location some of these things right so for example one of the resins that was used to store her lungs Mm -hmm. it may be damar which is only found in trees that grow in southeast asia so this article was really interesting and this is something that i kind of dislike about articles like this is that they want to almost like sensationalize the things that seem more interesting and important and this would be really cool if this were true. They would indicate that trade was happening on a really large scale to get from Southeast Asia yeah. over to Egypt. Like that is a huge space to cover in the mid second millennium BCE, right? Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> they go on to say that this resin that might be Damar from Southeast Asia might also be from the pistachia tree, which is found in the Mediterranean. AKA yeah. Egypt's stomping grounds. Have they ever heard of Occam's razor? Yeah. I'm just like, do you, are you going to go ahead and like assume that it comes from the faraway place right. or the closer place? Maybe there's more, more study they can do more tests to narrow down between those. But yeah. I'm just not inclined to believe the one from Asia when there's one from the Mediterranean, like right there. I don't know about you. They definitely need more research and evidence to yeah. prove that connection. Um, yeah, it would yeah. be nice if they could test remnants of other jars from the same time period yeah. to get an idea of what those substances were composed of. And maybe they can narrow in further on that. But just this one, I don't know. And the fact that one of them might be from like a region that they traded with consistently. I just that's really hard for me to to believe. But of course, the article like really focused on that bit. So yeah. that's one of the problems with reading, you know, just like general. This is from popular science, right? So 
One of the other substances that they found was also for sure comes from larch resin. And this is a medicinal ingredient called Lyrixol. Yeah. Lyrixol. And this is just, it's just cool because it's a plant species that's native to the area north of Egypt and across the Mediterranean. So yeah. another thing that they were using to preserve the organs slash slow down decomposition slash mask the scent of decomposition. So a lot yes. of thought was going into the substances that were in these little jars, which is really cool. All right. Well, let's go to the other side of the planet and see if ancient Peruvians also were delicious. <laughs> Back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 233, and we're here to find out whether or not 3,000-year-old Peruvians were also delicious. And <laughs> Nobody's saying these people were delicious. <laughs> only you. You're the only one saying that. Well, we're talking about a cult leader, though. If, a cult, if I'm a cult leader, I'm going to want to be delicious when I die. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, Hannibal. Yeah. So... This article is from Business Insider, which is a weird place to find these kind of articles. Yeah, what are they doing? I don't know, but I, I did actually kind of like the way the article was written, so I decided to go with it. Mm -hmm. The title of this article is 3,000-Year-Old Tomb Opened in Peru, Possible Cult Leader Unearthed. It's a little sensational. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a little bit much. But this is a really cool burial that was found in a burial chamber during excavations by the Paco Pampa Archaeological Project in Peru. Mm -hmm. And they didn't say exactly where this was, but it's somewhere in the Andes. And I got the impression that maybe they were protecting the exact location. Like they didn't want yeah, to share probably. that exactly. That that seems possible. But anyway, it's in, in the Andes. So that's the important part. Yeah. The burial itself is 3000 years old, as it mentions in the title. Mm -hmm. uh, and they know that from relative dating of other artifacts on the site, because there was a number of things found and they're able to yeah. date those. Yeah. Relative dating shows up in archaeology so many times. It does. It's yeah. it's super important for dating this kind of stuff because yeah. it's not invasive, right? Like you don't have to ruin anything if you have a really solid relative date, whereas carbon dating or any other yeah. of those kind of test based dates, you have to like actually destroy a piece of the artifact in order to right. do it. So. Oh, yeah. And this burial has been named the Prince of Paco Pampa, and he is thought to be some type of elite spiritual leader. And you want to know why they think that? Ritual. I don't know. <laughs> they think this because he was found face down with his legs crossed. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, cult leader or vampire? <laughs> I know. Honestly, I almost saved this article for talking about in October when we have sort of a like, you know, a vampire themed episode shaping up. Hint, Tell hint, everybody. hint, hint coming soon. Come on. But the, and this is kind of like some of the things that you see. But this this feels different. It doesn't have the same like vampire connotations that you get mm -hmm. with with European stuff. And the hypothesis here is that it was a burial position to basically protect against his power in the afterlife. So like once he's dead, he can't control the power that's just like coming out of him. Right. So by putting him face down, it protects people from that power just bing, 
something like shooting out of him, that I makes guess. Sense. If you got power shooting out of you, may as well point it down. <laughs> yeah. I mean. like point, and I guess it comes out forward only and not like right. up. That's, you know what that reminds yeah. me of? Of how like in Star Trek, they can't like, like deviate away from the plane, right? Like the, <laughs> they're always going like across rather than up or down or sideways yeah. or whatever. They don't think third dimensionally. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yes. And I can't believe you brought up the Star Trek reference. Well, you make it all the time. It's like, yeah. it's, it's hammered into my head because I know how much it annoys you. <laughs> I mean, they're literally trying to just like turn around and, and go away from the enemy when they could just go up or down. I know. They like do a big U-turn in the middle like, of space. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Why don't they? And, and when they're called to go somewhere else and they're going at like warp speed and you see them do like the power slide and go the other direction. <laughs> like, why isn't the direction they're going just like like you straight know, up or at like down an 85 degree angle down? Yeah. Like why isn't that system? It's always down there? a U-turn. Oh my god. I mean I know the Milky Way is on like a plane, but that plane is many light years thick. So anyway. All right. Well, I only said that because I wanted you to rant about it. So Jesus. rant done. Moving on. Yeah. The Peruvians, however, the they Peruvians. do all about three dimensional travel. <laughs> Right. Or power anyway, yeah. or not actually, because sure. it's only down because it only comes out of your body right. forward. Anyway, right. so he was found with artifacts that are believed to have been made from human bone. There were stamps for symbols also found with him. And those symbols belong to a cult that worshipped predatory animals. So uh, some interesting stuff there. Well, I mean, it, they leave a lot out, of course, when yeah. they do these articles, but... I also would wonder the opposite of that is like, did the cult that worshipped predatory animals, I mean, kill him and bury him here and, right. and put him in that way because of their ritualistic behavior, because they feared him or wanted to shame him or yeah. whatever it meant. And, and like, what's the definition of cult in this setting, right? Yeah. Because in today's world, a cult is like somebody who convinces people to like, yeah maybe potentially do things that they shouldn't do. I mean, right. not always, but like, it's usually charismatic leader, that kind of situation. Well, and is that what they mean by cult or is it just a group of people who sort of worship something that was a little bit off mainstream, yeah. you know? Yeah. And know. they're saying that the cross legs may indicate that he was a person of religious significance because stone carvings from the time period show religious figures in a cross legged pose, is <laughs> which is different than, like being buried face down with your legs crossed. Yeah. Like they're just, just crossed in an X. Like one leg placed over the top of the other in this burial. Well, this But like not, sitting cross-legged is different from that. Right. But the way they've got it sitting in the picture, and you got to go check out the pictures for this, his, his lower leg bones, the tibia and no. Yeah. Tibia and. Fibula. Well, fibula. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just like totally wiped out today. <laughs> they're almost parallel with each other. So his legs were pretty unnaturally placed yeah. in a in a crossed position yeah and i'm just thinking man was the person digging this hole just like over it and they're like you know what i'm pretty sure he'll fit oh <laughs> so they just like folded up his yeah. knees to like fit him in the hole it was like that's enough hole already yeah it is hard yeah. to to because when you have a body like this just the remains the bones just sort of like fall where they fall i mean once the decomposition of the skin and everything else happens yeah. so we put significance on literally everything in a burial but yeah, sometimes it's, you know people were just as lazy 3000 years yeah. ago as they are today but why face down though that is weird well, right mm. i'm uh, okay if i was to play devil's advocate and come come yeah. up for another reason for face down i would say he was dumped in this hole Oh, yeah. Like nobody cared about him, but yeah. they wanted to bury him because they know that animals will be attracted and he'll smell because he wasn't delicious like yes. Egyptians. 
However, there's other things to indicate that it wasn't just like a dumping burial, right? Well, there's artifacts. Yeah, because yeah. and also the grave he was found in is much larger than any other like comparable graves in yeah. the area and in the time period. He's alone and they right. they aren't always alone in these kind of graves. And also his burial is in the eastern half of the pit and the burial goods are in the western half and there's actual burial goods. So all of that is like, okay, somebody took care to bury this person exactly the way they did. But why? Why? And does it have to be a cult? Does it have to be religious? Does it have to be ritual? I don't know. It's hard to say. I just, the fact that we, we put significance on literally every single tiny little detail in a grave. I mean, I understand that people, even today, people will dress their dead relatives in like their finest clothes. Yeah. Right. Because of some, I don't know, even if, I mean, especially if it's an open casket, I mean, I kind of understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there's, there's a viewing or something like that. But that being said, is there really significance in literally everything that's found with the, with the person? I mean, there probably is some, but not everything. It's so hard because when you're applying your modern context to what you're seeing, it, that is 3000 years old in this case. Like that's just, you just yeah. don't know what their intentions were. You, it's almost right. impossible to say it's the same with the mummies that we just talked about. Yeah. We don't know why they did what they did. We don't have words saying why they did what they did. And, and, and we certainly don't hear either. So it's just super hard. And that's why I get really uncomfortable when researchers start saying, well, we see this. So this means this. Yeah. Because you just don't know. And this whole cross-legged pose thing, like, just because you see that in stone carvings does not mean that the burial yeah. being sort of in that position means the same thing. Right. That also feels like a reach to me. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I have a lot of skepticism when that kind of stuff happens. But it does seem like this article is sort of an initial reporting situation. So I would imagine that there's a lot more study to be done and peer reviewed publications to come out and those sort of things. Cause this is just an initial recording. I mean, you don't think business insider really did their <laughs> archeological research. No. On this? It's almost like you can tell when the pictures are like these pictures of the cool things. Yeah. There's pictures of the burials. There's pictures of the artifacts. Yeah. You know, it feels very like, let's focus on the cool things they found. Well, they got a few cents from us probably by clicking. Yeah, they probably know? did. So that's why they're doing it. It is. But. I know I get so like jaded when I yeah. think about like the reasons why, why, why a news source would publish something like this. And then why the people themselves who are doing this work would talk about it. And they mm-hmm. probably just want to get more exposure Yeah, because more exposure eventually probably means more money for the research that they're doing. So in that case, it's probably you right. know a good cause. But anyway, I'm very interested in it because I've worked in Peru. Like I've talked about many, many times, not in this particular area, but I have a little fondness in my heart for yeah. all of the prehistoric peoples of that area and the Facetown burial. That's not normal. So there's something weird going on here. I just think that more study needs to happen to know exactly why that's all. Well, I think his friends and relatives were just like, you know what, dude? You're not re- delicious. <laughs> so we're just going to dump you in this hole <laughs> and bury you. Do you think that like, like, sorry, not to just keep dwelling on this, but like, do you think that like, it's like a modern burial where like there's workers 
right? Who mm-hmm. do the actual burying and like all the people and the mourners sort of walk away. And they're just like, like, like get this over with. Yeah, do you think, like maybe they just were, like you said, like they made the grave a little too short. They're like, I don't like this guy anyway. I'm going to just dump him in and he right. goes in the way he goes in. It's possible, right? Tossed in all these grave cuts. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. put him on the wrong side by accident, but sure. they weren't going to get in there and fix it. Obviously no. they had some, I don't know. What's that drink in Peru called? They had, they had that really gross drink in Peru to get back to and drink. I don't know what you're talking about. I know, you I know what you're talking about, but I yeah, can't think of the name of it. Maybe yeah. I don't, I can't remember what it's called, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go make ourselves smell delicious. <laughs> I just can't get over that. So I know. I want, yeah. I want some cinnamon vanilla scented balm. Yeah. In reality, though, I think I'm just going to go lay on the bed face down with my legs crossed <laughs> and just wake up 10 hours from now. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers crossed you wake up 10 hours from now. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.